What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Creating Wealth Podcast, where I, Kyle, from Kyle Curtin Real Estate, interview local top dogs in the real estate investing, wealth building, and personal finance industries. Let's build together. What's up, guys? This is part two of Andrew's episode of the podcast. He has done some big things in real estate in a pretty short amount of time. Andrew has taken his first investment of a one-bedroom condo in Boston and turned it into three more real estate deals, and he still has the condo. In the second part of this episode, Andrew gives tons of absolutely priceless information from his experiences so far, especially phenomenal tips for your mindset, finding and creating autonomy in your day-to-day life, escaping the rat race, the two-sided relationship between tenants and landlords, just to name a few. We also dig a little into cost segregation and potential tax benefits with the real estate professional designation and much, much more. There is so much to digest here and I hope you enjoy. Let's jump right into the episode. And then like just to keep asking, you know, why or how, you know, if this one didn't work out, okay, you know, how do I create more opportunities to be able to do the same thing again until I get one that works? Yeah. Or, you know, like in your case and like other people that are, you know, can be buying multiple properties, how can I get even more of these to get even more opportunities to buy more properties? You know, and like, just kind of, you know, keep asking, you know, how, how can I keep doing this? You know, yeah. and until you get it never (laughs) never never blame anybody but yourself you have to take complete ownership in any sort of situation that occur i mean if a contractor screws you you know you gotta think to yourself how did i establish the expectations up front how did i develop that scope of work you know you honestly at the end of the day you know if you blame other people for your problems you are not going to be successful real estate investor you know um, it's that simple. I mean, you really truly have to take ownership uh, of your life and the decisions that you make. Exactly. Yeah. You know, like if you got a contractor that screwed you exactly, you know, like where is the flaw in my process for vetting contractors? You know, like where did it slip through the cracks and how can I patch that up? So this doesn't happen again. Exactly. You know, like just kind of always, it, you know, kind of stemming back to like what we were talking about earlier stemming back to those quote unquote failures and like those bad things that happen and just constantly adapting to, to fix those things and, you know, try to make sure they don't happen again, you know, and just learn from them. And not ruminating on the negativity, ruminating when you can fix this. Exactly. That's one of my biggest pet peeves is when something bad occurs, you know, um, people that focus and ruminate on the negativity of the situation and never really work to resolve it. Like that's a big pet peeve of mine because, um, you know, what's the point? What are you achieving with that? You know? Exactly. Nothing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Nothing. So yeah. 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 Ooh, what do you consider to be the biggest variable to expand your portfolio? Um, I would say the biggest variable to expanding my portfolio now is utilizing my own money. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
I bought about three properties on that line of credit. And I'm pretty much cashed out at this point, right? So um, what I what my goal right now is I'm I'm actually currently in the process of refinancing out of my first house hack to get out of the FHA loan. Nice. Yep. Use it again. But I also need to build up 3.5% of cash to purchase my next property. So uh, I should be able to do that in, in six months. But the fact that I'm using my own money limits my expansion ability. Yeah. You know, I get 100% of the deal, but, you know, I get 100% of the deal six months from now. <laughs> I'd, I'd rather get 50% of a deal two months from now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's honestly, that's kind of the biggest uh, hurdle I'm running into. But at the same time, it's not a huge hurdle because I understand real estate's a long game. It's not a short game. Like I control $1.5 million of real estate right now. I can literally do nothing. And in 30 years from now, I would have $1.5 million of real estate, not including inflation, not including appreciation. You know, I could literally retire better than most people could in 30 years. Exactly. Right? Which is and scary to even, think about. <laughs> yeah, and that's not even taking into account all the benefits that would occur. I mean, realistically, that's going to be worth $3 million, $4 million down the road. The exactly. rents would increase dramatically i would get way more cash flow than i get now but i'm literally not taking any of that into account i'm just telling you face value what exactly I would 30 years you know and not to mention like the tax benefits and everything and like you know make it stretch even further <laughs> yeah yeah i mean to your point i mean kind of what i what i hope to do um down the road is i hope to eventually qualify as a real estate professional for the via the tax code um, that essentially means is you commit a certain amount of hours to real estate activities every single year. And when you do that, you have the ability to write off a limited losses as opposed oh. to a W2 employee um, that year, I think you're limited to around 20, 25,000, depending on how much money you make, the more money you make, the less you can write off. Yeah. Uh, so my goal down the road is to qualify for that designation and then utilize, they are, call them cost segregation studies. And essentially what you can do is you can reclassify the depreciation on your property from a straight line depreciation, which normal residential depreciation occurs at 27.5 years. So just take the, the cost of the property um, and minus, I think minus on land maybe, um, don't quote me on that, talk to your professor. <laughs> you, um, you essentially just uh, take one, uh, 27.5 of the purchase price as opposed to accelerated depreciation where you can you can pick and choose certain items and write off a good portion of that up front so you can write off say 20 30 40 up front which that would result in huge tax returns right yeah. 20 40 50 60 thousand dollar tax returns right so my plan is to eventually down the road fall into that classification do a lot of these cost segregation studies on my some of my high value properties, get huge tax write-offs, get the tax return, pay off my line of credit, purchase more property, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. All, all, all while all while 1031 once once the depreciation benefit runs out, because the whole idea of cost segregation study is you're utilizing your depreciation pool earlier, right? Yeah. So you're gonna it up earlier right so if i run out of depreciation on a property who cares i'll just 1031 into another one start off at square one of depreciation do another cost segregation study 
that's crazy man I, i've heard that term before but i've never really like dug into it at all that's unbelievable so can you do can you do or obviously like you can do that multiple times you the can cost do segregation cost, yeah you could do a cost segregation study um on any property it, it usually it's very expensive so mm. i, I think general rule of thumb and it may it may differ on everybody's scenario i think the general rule of thumb is if the property's like cost a half million dollars or more then it's most likely worth it for you but mm-hmm. all of that is assuming you fall the real the real estate professional designation currently right now it would cost me about thirteen fourteen thousand dollars to do a cost segregation study in all my properties and i'd be able to write off a quarter of a million dollars but i wouldn't have access to those write-offs because i'm a w-2 employee i would be able to write off 20 to twenty five thousand per year right yeah. it just result in you know a third of third of that in your tax return that result in seven eight k tax return as opposed to my goal of getting very, lots <laughs> uh, uh, of tax return leveraging that to purchase more property so yeah. um that's kind of my ultimate goal um down the road so you know i was planning on obtaining my real estate license eventually um hopefully that coupled with the fact that i you know, manage self-managed seven units, I would hope I would have the ability to fall to that designation, but it's also yeah. worked at CPA. See, I'm kind of curious if, like, if you are an investor and you are self-managing, like, if those, I'll have to dig into it a little bit, just out of curiosity, but, like, if those hours as an investor, like, count towards that, or if, like, you have to be, you know, like, a real estate agent or a broker or, you know, whatever. They, they definitely do count towards it. You just have to, when you work at W2, you have to like track all of your hours because it's a certain hour that you have to comply with. Yep. Um, So I don't really know the intricacies, but when I'm, I'm, and I think the majority of your time has to be utilized on real estate uh, endeavors, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm running into, you know, I do hours a week, you know, 52 weeks a year, 2,080 hours per year. I would have to do 2,081 hours Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so it, it, it's challenging for a W-2 employee. It's, it's definitely feasible and you can definitely get it done. Um, but it takes a lot more uh, legwork to ensure you're complying with all of the rules. Yeah. It sounds really interesting though. That's, that sounds like a really crazy tool. But you personally might be able to qualify given the fact that you're a practicing real estate agent. I'll have to look into it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if I find out any more kind of information about it, I'll keep you posted. Yeah, yeah, please do. Please That's do. crazy, man. So do they have those for like commercial properties? I believe they do, yes. Or like yeah. a version of it or something? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I actually, for, I know they do because yeah. is a common study on syndications. Oh. Wealthy investors, for example, lawyers, um, who have large billable hours and wants huge tax write-offs. That's one of the main incentives they utilize for uh, signing up for a, a syndication is the huge tax benefit they'll get initially from the cost segregation in year one. <laughs> that's crazy. A lot, of, a lot of wealthy individuals, like that's one of their primary criteria with investing in a syndication is like, hey, are you going to do like a cost segregation study? I mean, if they're smart and they're high income earners, that's a question they should be asking. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Yep. Wow. (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm telling you, it's all about knowledge. I mean, like, yeah. I have the money to purchase my three properties. I use a home line of credit on my primary residence. You know, it's um, I didn't have the money for 25% down on a, on a three-family. I knew to utilize an FHA loan. You know, it's all about the knowledge. It's not about having the resources. It's about knowing the resources available to solve the problem. Yeah, yeah. See, and that's the thing that I really love about real estate, you know, is like the knowledge is always out there and like, it's free, you know, like I was talking to, um, I was talking to somebody recently is an older gentleman and he, uh, he used to flip houses back in like the eighties. And he was telling me kind of like, you know, what real estate investing looked like back in the eighties. You know, and like just kind of comparing it to now, I'm like, wow, like we don't realize how good we have it. You know, like he was talking about, you know, having to, um, you know, wait till like this real estate seminar, like a three day, you know, like weekend thing or something came into town and like they'd sell like a box of cassettes that, you know, you'd have to like buy it or whatever. And then like listen to it in your car to get like some of this knowledge, you know, and like it was, uh, obviously you know they didn't have the internet or anything back then so like just the connections and like you know going into a real estate office and like the pocket listings and like everything's on paper you know like you it just it really blew my mind i'm like you know how like good we have it now i guess you know well like you know i think we met on bigger pockets you know like (laughs) you know what i mean and like uh you know even on like Instagram, like Facebook, um, bigger pockets. Yeah. You know, like you can literally type in like real estate investors in Worcester or Boston or Springfield or Austin, Texas, you know, and like, there's a bunch of people that just show up right off the bat, you know, and like, you can send them a message. You can, you know, shoot the breeze with them, have a phone call, zoom call, whatever. And like, you know, thinking about it in the context of, you know, what this gentleman kind of grew up with and what he was used to, like, you, you couldn't do that stuff back then, you know, like to, could you imagine, you know, it being like 1980 and you wanted to flip houses in Texas, you know, like people probably looked at you like you had like 10 heads and you probably would have had to fly down to Texas to like meet brokers in their offices and stuff. Like it's, it's just crazy to think about, you know, that, that different kind of perspective like just how different everything is and like it's it everything's right there <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah i mean i 100 agree with you but I, you know i think i think learning is an age-old endeavor at the same yeah. time i mean you know a lot of the learning i've done has been via books you know yeah you know and um and my my like for example my my father helped me change a water heater uh a couple months back and i'm like asking like how do you learn how to do this he's like oh i read a book <laughs> like come on <laughs> yeah. I, I would have to watch a youtube video exactly <laughs> you know um but you know i think that just goes back to you know how motivated are you in getting achieving your goals i mean if you're motivated you will find a way whether it's 1980 whether it's 2050 yep. you will find a way and you know it's that simple you know um so it just all depends on how self-motivated you are to achieve your goals and, and never giving up, never accepting failure, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. You know, at the end of the day, that's, that's really what it is, you know, like just going out to, to seek that knowledge and, and figuring out a way to get it. 
you know, or like, you know, wanting to meet those people in that market or, you know, find about or find out about, you know, some of the different loan programs and stuff that are around, you know, and like, how are you going to find out to be able to use it? You have to be motivated to go find it, right? Yeah, and, and, and always, always chasing after the better version of yourself. You know, I mean, uh, you want to imagine the person you want to be 10 years from now, and you want to take measurable steps every day to get to that point, yep. you know? And if you don't do that, you shouldn't expect to achieve that, that state of being in the future, you know? Exactly. To me, to me, I always, my, one of my life's goals is to be a better version of myself every day, you know? Um, and constantly be learning because once you start learning just like just like a flower you wither and die you know but when you continue to learn you grow and you 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 flourish right Um, and I definitely live my life in that same way 100% yeah you know it's there's always more to learn too you know like you're you're never really gonna know everything and like that's what I really like about real estate in general is Mm -hmm. there's literally like so much information out there like you're not going to learn at all. You can learn like a ridiculous amount about a lot, but you're not going to know it all. You know, like there's always going to be things that you're picking up, you know, like things that get changed and it just, it's unbelievable. Like you can, I feel like it's, there's like a very sustainable amount of information based on how bad you want it. You know, like even if you're ridiculously driven and you're you know listening to podcasts 24 7 reading all the books you can find um you know talking to all the people that you can there's always going to be more you know and like it's there's just so much so much so many resources out there that it's you're never going to learn at all you know and like it's one of those things like you can the way i look at it like i love to like you know try to you know meet like all the people in a market or you know like kind of like the extreme you know like learn literally like everything about a market that you can like you know where's this where's that and like you know what's going on with this and like i don't know there's just so much information out there to to go get you know and to learn that and you're probably not gonna learn everything that you know everything that exists about like that market or like those people but just the journey of trying to do that is, is really satisfying by itself, you know, cause like, there's always going to be more that, that keeps getting introduced. So I feel like it's just a really sustainable kind of pattern of, of knowledge, you know, it's a, cause there's always going to be more. Yeah, no, I mean, I a hundred percent agree, agree with that. I also think, you know, you have to uh, combine that with action too. Of course. You know, yeah. and can't just learn forever and not take action. I mean, at a certain point, you're not going to know everything in, uh, regarding a situation. You just have to take the leap, trust in your abilities to resolve the issue at hand or any issues that arise and just do it. You know, like, you know, I didn't, I didn't know how my first property uh, would turn out. You know, I didn't know, you know, my condo would double or, you know, double in value. You know, I, I, you know, I just took the leap, you know, um, the last three deals I did, you know, I'm one person, you know, that's a lot of mortgages for one person. I, you know, <laughs> the leap, you yeah. know, I, I knew, I, I knew it was possible. Uh, I knew what I was trying to achieve. I developed steps to get it done. And when the steps became apparent, I actually took them and didn't find the excuse to back out. Um, exactly. 
So, yeah. Yeah. You know, and then stemming back to, uh, you know, the conversation we had about failure and stuff, you know, like right when you take that leap and actually take the action, looping back to, you know, if things don't go so hot, taking the lessons from that, you know, to just keep doing it until, until it does work out, you know, just kind of like a vicious cycle. Uh, Don't, don't use that as an excuse, you know, you use it. You should be thankful that happened to you because how much knowledge did you gain from that mishap? Uh, I'm sure way more than what it cost you. Oh, 100%, 110%. Yeah, definitely. You know, and then just picking things like that off, you know, just kind of going through the reps and the more reps you do, the more information you're going to learn, you know, whether you're, exactly. whether you're winning or not so much. <laughs> you can only lose for so long. Yep. <laughs> there has to be a win. It's just probability says that. You know? Eventually. <laughs> Eventually, right? <laughs> Someday I will win. It might not be today, but. <laughs> uh, Andrew, how do you define wealth? I know we kind of kind of dug into it a little bit already, but. I, I define wealth by living the life you truly want to live. Yeah. You know, that's simple. Um, you know, I, I, um, I value time. I value control. I value, you know, my own destiny. Um, and I want the ability to control that. Um, and I find like financial freedom and wealth will give me that ability and give me the time to seek my passions, um, and really, um, live the life I want to live, you know, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not really going after financial freedom because, you know, I want all the money in the world or or anything like that. I just want control of my time. Yeah. I want control of my time. I don't live a lavish lifestyle. I don't plan on living a lavish lifestyle. I just want the ability to travel, the ability to teach others, how I might be, how you might be able to achieve your dreams like I have, um, and to spend and develop authentic relationships with friends and family. Um, so if I had that, you know, I, if I had that ability, you know, and I, my net worth was $1, I'd be the happiest in the world. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately in today's world, you need, you need money to go after <laughs> opportunities, right? A couple more dollars. <laughs> yes. Just a yes. couple. That, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, maybe some loose maybe change. A, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I really love that, man. You know, and it, like at the end of the day, that's that's what it is, you know, is to escape that the rat race and, you know, get out of, you know, the things that you are obligated to do, you know, to put food on the table and, you know, be able to do that like different ways. And, you know, it's I was talking to somebody last night about it, actually, you know, it's it's unbelievable how like that's kind of what you're set up to do is to just like work all these years and then have to escape from that you know through different methods and everything to be able to actually like live your life the way you want to you know like it's i I don't know like just thinking about it like super boiled down like (laughs) it's, it's like a prison sentence you know what i mean like you know just just kind of being in the rat race and and always having that um you know that job or whatever like the just the things that you have to do to put food on the table and then you know like the game at least that we're playing and a lot of other folks are playing are just how to get out of that you know and just live your life like normal 
you know and um like just even to be with your family and stuff you have to escape something that you're placed into to spend more time with your family you know it's it's unbelievable to think about you know it's crazy yeah And, and to your point you know i'm not trying to get out of the rat race because you know i don't like my job or anything like i'm extremely grateful for the opportunities that got given to me yeah um, but i want to control my time and i want to control where i need to be at a certain time i mean um you know that's kind of my ultimate goal is just a certain level of control and autonomy um yeah. i don't know read too good they they can't ignore you um very good book it was sorry so good they can't ignore you okay oh, okay yeah very very good book but he talked, he, he just actually just talks about, you know, how, you know, everybody thinks seeking your passion will, will actually create happiness. But no, most, most of the time that doesn't happen. Most of the time people truly gain gratification, uh, gratification and uh, desire, sorry, gratification um, from their job when they actually get good at something. Yeah. You know? And at that point, they can demand a certain level of autonomy, a certain level of control. You know, and that's, and those are the kind of the people that really uh, ascend um, in their field are people who really um, have that level of autonomy, have that level of control, you know, really work to get good at something and truly enjoy it at that point. You know, like in my current job, I like what I do. I mean, it's, it's, I, I enjoy what I do because, you know, it's, it's honestly, it's good practice for life. I deal with very uh, influential, I work with very influential MIT uh, Harvard professors, MGH doctors, and they have all of high expectations on what to expect. So mm-hmm. I value the fact that I, I've learned how to deliver on those expectations. And that's very transferable to other roles. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you really got to be, you got to make the best of what you have and be grateful for what you have, but also have a vision of where you want to be in the future. Um, you know, and I think that's the biggest thing about being a real estate investor is, you know, people, a lot of drive behind doing is people just want to escape the rat race, escape their job. But at a certain point, you should be grateful for certain aspects of your life. I mean, you could be living in a third world nation. You could not have health care. You know, yeah. you, your parents could be passed to another life. You know, you have many things you should be thankful for. And I feel like when you engage in gratitude, um, your life just turns out that much better. Yeah, I totally agree, man, you know, and to kind of touch on that, you know, like finding that balance between having, um, oh, what's the word, uh, all that like gratification, you know, for the things that like you're blessed to have, as well as having that vision on how to, how am I going to make this better, you know, and what's that version of myself in my life that, uh, you know, I aspire to have, you know, and just kind of finding that middle ground. Um, you know, and just, you know, being grateful for what you have, but also having that growth mindset at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the biggest tip for me on how to maintain that dichotomy is just, uh, not allowing negative thoughts to ruminate, you know, when you're actually out of your job, be out of your job. Don't be ruminating. Don't be thinking about certain aspects of your job. Don't be thinking about certain projects, be out of it because you'd be surprised how much more impact it you have when you're actually there and you come back refreshed and you come back ready to go. You're that much more effective than when you've just been ruminating and stressing about a certain issue the entire night Then you come back to it, you know, think how you got to perform that. You're not going to perform very well, you yeah. know? 
Um, so I think the power of the mind, uh, if people truly underestimate that, uh, in my opinion, uh, you know, and I, and I think, I think that's the difference between um, somebody who can achieve fi financial freedom and somebody who can is them understanding that they have the power to do everything um, that they want. They just have to uh, put the work in. Exactly. That was awesome. <laughs> So, Andrew, what is your best piece of advice to new investors that want to start and manage their rental portfolio? That's a fantastic question. You know, <laughs> my biggest tip for people would be, you know, being a tenant and a landlord, it's a two-way relationship. People just naturally, it's like, I've spoken to other landlords, all they do is complain about crappy tenants. Or, you know, people have spoken with tenants, all they complain about is crappy landlords. But at the end of the day, it's a two-sided relationship. And to be a really, truly uh, successful real estate uh, investor, you really have to be empathetic with your tenant and really see it from their point of view and really go out of your way to provide good housing um, and, and resolve any issues that, they, um, that, uh, that happens to them in a very timely manner. I mean, at the end of the day, we're all humans. Um, psychology is in play in every interaction. You know, and I guarantee if your tenant likes you as a person, there's a 100% more chance they're going to pay you on time. You know, if they really care about your well-being, they will make that payment. When they, if they could, if they could care less about me, I guarantee you they would push off that payment as, as long as possible, right? So uh, I, I believe just maintaining uh, an empathetic relationship with your tenants um, will, will put you hands uh, above your competition. Not many landlords um, value tenants like that. And, and at the end of the day, I provide, I try to provide the best customer service to my tenants because those are my customers. Those are the people keeping my business alive. And I yeah. want to continue to keep my business alive. That's so true, man. I, I feel like, you know, maybe uh, the way that I guess some landlords are is kind of what gives real estate investors a bad name you know, like the slumlord, you know, like yeah. that type of thing. And like, it's like, not everybody's like that, you know, I mean, and like, just to kind of hear, you know, from like a lot of different places, like just the value of like, just getting down to like a, a person, a person um, level, you know, like transaction aside, you know, rent, whatever aside, you know, and just to really like step into their shoes and, and kind of see what's going on. And, you know, see how you can fix that problem. Because I really yeah. like how you said that a minute ago, too, you know, about they're keeping your business afloat. You know, like the the real estate is is a business, you know, without them, now the money's coming out of your pocket to pay the bills. You know, you literally like need them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, when it comes to providing an empathetic and caring relationship to tenants, I mean, respond to their requests uh, in a timely manner you know, provide housewoman gifts to them. You know, you can provide Mother's Day gifts. I mean, I get it. We want to make as much money as possible. But, I mean, you got to think it's a long-term investment to maintain a, a long-term tenant. I mean, think if, if, if that tenant doesn't like you and you get a vacancy, it's going to cost you a lot more than a gift here or there to get that unit renovated, to get it filled. You're going you're gonna to have periods where you go without payment and rent. Um, so, you know, 
I, I, at the end of the day, it's all about relationships. I mean, this industry is all about relationships, all about being likable, um, you know, and you really have to translate that over to your tenants. It's not just a one-way street, you know, and, and, and when, you know, when you have 10 evictions on your plate, you know, you got to take a certain level of ownership with that. Were you not empathetic with your tenants? Was your, did you screen horribly? You know, like most likely those are the two issues that you're, <laughs> why you're in your predicament, right? Yeah. So um, I don't like it when other real estate investors just blame the other the people. Tenants. I mean, I'm sure most of their problems could have been resolved if they looked inward. Yeah. And like that's stemming back to actually a lot that we were talking about earlier, you know, about like just finding the the flaws, you know, and taking full ownership of that and saying like, all right, you know, what went wrong here and how am I going to avoid this the next time? You know, I, I feel like that's like a pretty central principle, especially for real estate investing, you know, is, is to just take like a ridiculous amount of ownership you know, and, and just try to do as much as you can that's in your power to optimize and limit, you know, some of those bad things that are happening. Yeah. And then I would say my other second piece of advice would just be like, have a very strong screening criteria and, and wait for the semi-perfect tenant that you need. Even, even if your unit has to stay vacant for one, two months longer, like it's worth it. It's worth it to get a good tenant than not that rather as opposed to filling the unit quickly, getting a really bad tenant and having go, having to go through the eviction process, having them d- destroy your unit. You know, it's worth it to screen and it's and it's worth it to wait for the perfect tenant. That's golden. <laughs> I know it's it's crazy hearing that too, man. Even on like, you know, bigger pockets and stuff, like because I mean, I haven't been in that situation quite yet, but, you know, like just really wanting to get that unit filled up so you can start getting paid. But if you fill it too early and, you know, kind of slip up in your, your screening, it might be, you know, a lot more than what you bargained for. <laughs> yeah. 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 Run, run their credit, make sure they have a good job, you know, make sure they have a decent nest egg, you know, um, <laughs> you know, just, just do make sure that, you know, that um, they seem reasonable with money via their credit. Make sure they don't have any criminal, uh, criminal uh, negative history. Um, you know, um, just do your due diligence. I mean, just like just like purchasing the house. Why would it stock with once you get the house under management? Why? Why would it? <laughs> it shouldn't. Yeah. It should continue. You should continue to do that same level of due diligence throughout the whole process of owning the property. Uh, and once you start doing that, then that's when issues arise. Via you know, not screening tenants well via not screening contractors well via not managing expectations, you know. Um, at a certain point, you know, all of these issues are avoidable um, if you just do the due diligence up front. Yeah. I love that, man. That's awesome. Ooh, Andrew, do you read? And what is your favorite business, investing, or real estate book that you would recommend to anyone? If you had to pick one. <laughs> oh my God. Well, I mean, I know I'm asking I a say, lot. <laughs> I want to say, um, rich dad, poor dad. I mean, like every real estate investor out there, because that really created a mind shift for me. Um, it really showed me the value of time. Um, it showed me that, you know, I was living in a state of fear, you know, living in a state that, 
you know, I had to get up every day to get that next paycheck. You know, I had to stay at this job. Uh, I had no, I couldn't take time off. I, I, you know, I had to continue working in this rat race to uh, obtain the dreams that I wanted. And, you know, that really came from a place of fear. Like I was just scared to take the leap, scared yeah. of going uh, against my family and friends' expectations of what success is. Um, I was scared of living under a bridge. You know, I was scared of all of that. But at a certain point, you know, you know, I don't want to live a life of regret. I don't want to be, I don't want to live, you know, looking back at my life 20 years from now and say, I should have done that. I should have done this. You know, that, that'd be way, that'd be a way worse feeling, I feel, than me living under the bridge. If I lived under the bridge and I tried to achieve what I wanted, I'd be a happy bum. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> This is the best thing I've heard all day. <laughs> oh. No, it's it's so true though, you know, because at least you know that you gave it a shot, you know, and then like you'll bounce back, you know, until the next thing comes along and give the next thing a shot. But the, what's yeah. different this time is now you have the experience from the first time to carry you into the second attempt. Eventually, you're gonna get it. Yeah, and you'll just be happy. You won't be a bum. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> So, but some, but some of the other books I like are uh, the Cash Flow Quadrant uh, by Robert Kiyosaki. That's his like second or third book in the series. Um, I like, I think it's called People, Money, Deals, Money, People, People, Money, Deals. It's a combination of the three. It's by Stefani. He essentially teaches you how to network and partner um, deals. Um, there's also a fantastic book called The Motivation Manifesto as well, which uh, that just goes over. Um, strategies of how to motivate yourself okay mm -hmm. um, i i you know like like i've been re reiterating throughout this podcast it's all about taking daily action you know ever since i started on this journey i've never been an av avid reader before this journey when i started on it i started reading 15 pages a day you know and then a year later i read 25 books you know, so it's just, it's just small incremental steps add up to huge action. Um, and it's that simple. You know, when you ask me for a book, I, I literally have a hard time picking one because I've read so many great <laughs> yeah. books over the past year. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Um, you're right. But, I mean, if you're just starting out, you need to read Rich Dad Poor Dad. It's kind of, rather than me explaining my mindset to you, you just read that book and you understand it. Yeah. So pretty much, man. I, I feel like uh that book i think i bought it for like eight bucks or something on amazon i feel like that's gonna be like the one investment that i that i'm gonna have like the highest return on like ever that literally like the same same exact thing you know and same with like a lot of other people out there that literally just rewired my brain like punched me in the face and i you know i woke up like a different person you know like that's that's one of those kind of books that I'm probably going to read that at least once a year for the rest of my life, just to refresh, you know, and like, it's just, it's, it's crazy. It's just yeah. something else. And, and, the, and the one thing I would really say that it taught me is it taught me integrity. It taught me that when I tell myself I'm going to do something, my word means something, you know, like I've always had these big dreams of achieving certain, you know, certain things for my life. You know, I would always procrastinate. I always find the reason not to. Well, let me watch that next uh, series on Netflix. So let me let me play that video game. Yeah. Uh, well, let me get my master's program. You know, and that was all um, just procrastination 
for me, running away from my dreams in fear, honestly, yeah. at the end of the day. Um, so I, I truly appreciate that book because it really taught me just the integrity of being a man of your word, a man or woman uh, of your word. Yeah, that's absolutely huge, man. It really is. I could talk to you for hours, Andrew. Thank you so much for coming on here, man. It, it really was an honor to have you on. Where on yeah, um, like social media and stuff can you be found? So I, I have a, a LinkedIn page, uh, Freed. So feel free to look me up. Um, I'm also on Bigger Pockets. You can look me up there as well. Um, and you know, I truly gain satisfaction from teaching others. Um, yeah. So if anybody has any questions, uh, needs help, always feel free to reach out. I'm always happy to network with other investors or want to be investors, um, you know, definitely a, a passion of mine to help others achieve uh, financial literacy and, and hopefully financial freedom down the road. That is amazing, man. I love it. Guys, go follow Andrew. I'll link all your stuff below, but reach out to him. <laughs> also, you. uh, you've been hosting a couple meetups in Worcester recently. <laughs> I appreciate the plug. Yeah, we do have a Worcester meetup. <laughs> uh, real estate meetup hosted by uh, Candor uh, Realty Company. Um, and then our next meetup is September 22nd uh, at the Hangover Pub from 6.30 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. And we actually have some really good guest speakers. We have a uh, multifamily real estate investor in Worcester. He owns dozens of multifamilies, so he's going to be speaking on his journey. And we also have a cost segregation expert that's essentially going to be going over cost segregation 101 so you can kind of learn more of the strategy i spoke about earlier as well uh, again that's 6 30 to 8 30 september 22nd uh, at the hangover pub in worcester massachusetts guys be there i can't wait <laughs> appreciate it all right guys that concludes our creating wealth podcast episode for today I want to thank every single person that has listened this far. It really means a lot to know that people can learn from me and with me as we build wealth together. Hopefully you can take home at least one thing from this podcast that will improve your life just a little bit. If you could, please check me out on social. That's at Kyle Curtin Real Estate on Instagram, Facebook, and I'm on Bigger Pockets. Until next time, let's build together.